Hi guys, Stu here. If you could support the podcast by following us wherever you subscribe to your podcast, that would be amazing. If you are enjoying our videos on the YouTube channel, uh, like and subscribe, like the individual videos and subscribe to the channel. Just search for Henry Weston's Old Mate. The continued support helps us to be able to provide more and more content going forward. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. Just an extra reminder, guys, if you could leave us a five-star review within your podcast provider, that would help so very much. Simply scroll down below the list of episodes, wherever you get your podcasts, and it will give you the option to rate the show. If you could rate us five stars, that would be amazing. It will also give you the option to write a brief review. If you could do that on top, again, that will do nothing but help us out. Thank you so much. Finally, before we get into today's episode, guys, don't forget that we now have a Buy Me A Coffee page set up. If you log on to www.buymeacoffee.com, search H-W-O-M, standing for Henry Weston's old mate, of course, you can make a small donation towards the podcast. You could buy us anything from one to four cups of coffee, I believe. It will all go back into the podcast. It won't go flying me and Phil around the world. It will just enable us to buy better microphones, upgrade the software on computers and stuff, just be able to give you guys a better experience all round listening or watching the podcast. Now let's get to the episode. Hello and welcome to another one of Henry Weston's Old Mates, the podcast. Um, we're talking turf from the USA again. You'll all be getting a bit confused, I'm sure. You'll see uh, Phil is playing co-host again and our friend up there Dan Francis we'll get to him in a bit uh, I'm going to run through the boring stuff if you are watching us on YouTube please subscribe to the channel and drop this video a like if you are listening to us on any of your podcasts uh, people providers. places wherever you get them providers um, like rate review um, You'll normally find you need to listen to three or four podcasts before it will let you uh, leave a review. Scroll down below the list of episodes. It will allow you to leave us five stars and a written review if possible. Don't forget, we have a Buy Me A Coffee set up. Uh, if you log on to www.buymeacoffee.com uh, forward slash H-W-O-M, you can make a small donation. It all goes towards buying us nice new shiny stuff to give you the best audio and visual uh, experience looking at me and phil we need all the help we can get um so There's phil as i've just mentioned you oh finally my mum is still walking in march phil doesn't get a chance to say anything cheeky here she's walking all over cancer donations please i'll i'll link it phil normally in charge of all this normally in charge of me how are you sir still sober <laughs> still sober yeah it's 5 p.m and uh just finished work realized i was still wearing a t-shirt that i wore for recording that for a podcast last night so it looks like we just either wear the same clothes or uh, i don't ever get changed so i just had to quickly change out of that very briefly um they're yeah, doing all right thank you just uh looking forward to this out of my comfort zone don't know much about grass as you will anybody that sees my back garden will testify and uh, yeah, just along for the ride. And a one final, final point before we go to Dan, who is eagerly awaiting. Uh, we now accept brand deals. Phil, if you'd be so kind, look at this. We've signed our first contract. We are on the TurfNet crew. Uh, thank you to Peter McCormack and TurfNet and all his associates. 
What a wonderful gift in the post. I nearly threw Phil's hat away, rescued it, then got the envelope out again, saved the sticker, then got the envelope out of the bin a fourth time and saved the lovely handwritten note. So I got there in the end. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, uh, we receive all gifts very gratefully. I'm Mr. wearing mine throughout. I love it. It's good. Mr. Dan Francis, golf course superintendent, Wildwood Golf Club. Um, you'll come on. We're going to chat to you about the mindset of becoming a superintendent and what it takes to work your way through the turf industry in the US of A. I'm sure that will be applicable for anywhere in the world. How are you doing, sir? I'm wonderful. Stuart, Bill, thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, to be on this side of the microphone is different. Uh, this will be my first podcast. Thank you Good. for asking. Thank you for inviting me on. I appreciate it. Well, um, obviously, um, you're a bit of a Twitter associate of Paul Hurst, who we had on recently. Um, Paul Hurst was, has been described, let's say it again, as potentially the most interesting man in turf at the minute. Um, but your Twitter profile, I love the, uh, the, the to and froing you two have. Um, your Twitter profile is more about cigars and charcuterie boards. Um, what's all that about? I've, I've been very blessed uh, my last five years here at Wildwood to join this club, but there is a large cigar presence at this club. Uh, last night we had Cigar Men's Night. Uh, it's very involved uh, by men and women at, at Wildwood Golf Club. And by default, I thought I would associate with that crew as well. So I don't have a thorough knowledge of cigars, but I do enjoy them uh, in a different mindset or in a different route. It pairs very nicely with bourbon and Kentucky whiskey or bourbon here in the States with a good cigar uh, has just been a nice quiet time for me yeah. on the back porch. Um, and in the charcuterie, all credit to my wife, all, all, all credit to my wife. And then I'm the, I, I just act a fool from there on well, out. The, I, yeah, the I semi clad fool the photo. on more than one occasion. <laughs> um, yes, it's, it's been good when, when charcuterie took off, it was, it was a trip to Aldi and, um, she said, just buy some things. Well, about 36 items later, <laughs> I find myself sprawled out on the kitchen table in front of this giant spread, which crossed over from Thanksgiving to Christmas. And then even the new year, we got to got to share the charcuterie boards with our family through the holidays. So it was it was nice. And uh, this camera, this camera angle is good, uh, but I enjoy a good snack with the best of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're actually with. We're, we're gonna we're gonna move away from the the fine dining and the fine whiskey and the fine cigars. We're gonna sort of have a bit of a professional discussion because on this podcast, you know, it started out as a bit of alcohol recovery, mental health, um, and we're finding that a lot of the episodes, while this will be based around turf, we want to sort of delve into the mind of someone who is, you know, as a golf course superintendent. It's fair to say you're sort of at, at the the pinnacle of. Of, of your career really um, over there you're at the sort of the, the highest echelon within the industry. Um, so just before we sort of delve into sort of too deep into the mindset of things, just to explain to us how you got into the turf industry, Dan, because there were many, there were many routes, you know, my route personally was I'd finished my, my 
qualifications at school and and I would plan to go to university but needed something to do for a year because my grades weren't good enough uh, I needed to keep myself busy I joined the turf industry in 1998 and bar a few years enjoying myself skiing uh, I still find myself here more by accident than than choice shall we say but explain to us your sort of your route into the industry as a, as a young man or potentially not quite such a young man yes absolutely um so at a young age eight nine years old um my family and i at that time lived in austin texas and my grandparents lived here in ohio well that was many moons ago and my mom was allowed to put me on a plane and i would take that plane as a young boy all the way to cincinnati ohio where i would be meted uh greeted by my grandma and grandpa who had a condo on an 18-hole golf course my love for the sport began then and spending time with them at just that personal one-on-one -on -one time. Um, I've always been a big boy, but never played the Rock'em Sock'em baseball, soccer, football. Um, and for what it's worth, a physician's diagnosis of ADHD and the attention deficit disorder that little white ball grounded me. All my attention, all my focus on that small white ball really, really grounded me. And that's where I found a passion and a love for the game of golf, which snowballed into now a career, um, mostly for my love of, of the sport. So you were you the, you the 12, 13 year old kid hitting golf balls during the day, collecting golf balls off the range and then going back out and hitting them at night. Uh, was it ever, was it, did you ever sort of dabble in the potentially the professional, you know, actually playing the game profession as, as a profession or was that never, was that never the angle? At, at that age you described, I, I spent a lot of time with golf pros as, as a volunteer at the local parks district and their driving range and their junior league clinics as an aide assisting the pros with the younger students and the younger generation of golf that were coming up through the junior clinic. Um, and, and that, you know, having that understanding of, of putting in some time in the industry of golf, um, I was able to take something away from it with benefits such as 18 hole passes. Uh, you can come play our golf course for free. Um, and, and then as, as I got older, my mom had a wonderful piece of property and I would constantly hit golf balls through and through the property up and back. And that snowballed into, you know, how many stripes can I mow in my mom's home lawn and how straight they can be from the upper balcony and how beautiful can I make this lawn so that I can play golf on it. Um, and, and, and at an early age, I remember taking a fiberglass flag stick and sticking it in the yard and chipping to it and beating balls around it and that um it, it it's been a passion of mine for as long as i can remember fantastic so so greenkeeping as we call it over here turf industry as i guess it is over there um how did that come about at what was that 18 i finished school i finished high school I need a job or someone says you need a job. You need to earn some dollars. Um, local club, knock on the door, see the superintendent. I'm willing to work for, 
I'll do whatever you want. Give me a job. Yes. I graduated high school, uh, which will be this fall, 20 years ago. So fall of 20, fall of 2002. I guess now I'm showing my age. Um, I walked onto a par three, nine hole, public owned golf course. Uh, the longest hole was 188 yards. I'm sorry, I did not do any of the conversions to meters. No, and we the like shortest yards hole was over 60 here. Yards. Yeah, okay, we like yards right. in England. It, and, and the shortest hole was 60 yards downhill with a bunker. Uh, there was one bunker on property, 30,000 square foot of greens, nine tee boxes, and uh, probably about a total of 27 sprinkler heads. And I started on a string trimmer uh, with a good old boy at that club, uh, just working straight out of high school and reaping the free golf benefits as well. And that's um, from, from there is, you know, I, the gentleman that I was working for at the time, the greenkeeper at the time, he says, Dan, if you're passionate about this, did you know you can go to school for it? Which led me to the University of um, Rutgers and their professional turfgrass management program in New Jersey. Right. That, so, yeah, that's interesting because because we're going to sort of title this this episode really something along the lines of sort of the long way to the top we're thinking because – uh, as we sort of said off air, Dan, before we, before we went live, um, you've potentially, your route to golf course superintendent is a slightly longer route uh, than many in the US. And I would describe it more as a, a UK or, or sort of a European route. You've, you've worked your way through the industry rather than finishing high school, going off and, and getting a, a turf grass degree over a period of two to four years, and then sort of moving into assistant, you know, assistant super positions and running that treadmill. We're going to talk about that shortly. Um, so that's that's the route this podcast is going to take. Uh, Phil, if I just come to you quickly, it's interesting to, to that Dan sort of mentioned the early ADHD diagnosis and sort of mowing stripes and being able to focus on that little golf ball. Um, that will resonate with you somewhat, I would have thought. Yeah, I was just going to jump in actually and talk about, so I've, uh more recently been diagnosed with as autistic but i both my children are autistic they're also going through adhd um uh, diagnoses at the moment as well and what we have started seeing in the world of neurodiversity more is actually a focus on you know moving away from talking about challenges or, or diagnosis in a pejorative term so you struggle with or you even use language around that white ball grounded you but there will be things around being somebody who is uh, ADHD that um, those traits will really be strengths of yours in in anything that you do but do you recognize that those individual qualities around kind of uh, kind of deep concentration and uh, and those sorts of things actually are a benefit in the work that you do? Uh, 100% to have the ability to focus my love of the sport and my love of, of turf grass and into this property uh, goes a long way and speaks volumes to what we as greenkeepers are 
are able to accomplish. And, and while I say focus it into this property, there's so many moving pieces and it's very hard to focus sometimes um, when you have thousands of different thoughts going through our mind and everything that we do has equal and opposite reactions and, and taking the time sometimes very quickly to evaluate those and, and zero in on the task at hand here has been 100% beneficial. Yeah. yeah, no, and I think that's, that is the case. I think um, it's, we're doing good. There's a, it, it's probably the same in the States at the moment, but it's neurodiversity celebration week at the moment. We're doing quite a lot kind of in, in healthcare at the moment around recognizing those strengths um, that people bring to to their role because they are an individual and they have you know a diagnosis isn't necessarily a label um, but it's, it's good to hear that outside of my sphere of understanding I work in healthcare but those strengths are applicable elsewhere and it just really helps if the thing that you've got those strengths are also applied to the things that you really really love because you just go that extra extra distance don't you it I, I don't want to get sidetracked from the greenskeeping aspect of this. And, and it, it's always a, a good laugh in the home with the wife uh, when we work together. When I do zero in at, at home, I, she laughs all the time. It's, it's, it's amazing how much can get done, Dan. Yeah. She says, Dan, you know, it, and I might accomplish five tasks in this room and three tasks in this room while segueing into the office and then bringing it all together, which also translates to what we do here on the golf course from the team mowing to the rough mowing to the bunkers to the weed whip, the list goes on. The sky is the limit, but then the culmination effect of having everything come together, the, the end reward has been my center and that's my ground. And to, to turn around after a triplex stripe or, or most stripe and, and see that result, uh, it has been very rewarding and, and diagnosis for whatever it's worth. I've, it was a long time ago. It, it's probably still with me. It, it definitely is because I can get lost often. Um, prior to this podcast and a text message with Stu, I said, keep me on track. Yeah. Keep me on track. Stu. Well, let's, <laughs> so, let's, get, let's, get, let's get back to a track then. And just, just very quickly, Stu, just as a public service announcement as well, that uh, Dan did just mention, you know, how, how quickly he can get things done, but not all people, particularly women, are impressed with speed. So <laughs> public service announcement on that. Move on, buddy. <laughs> I was just going to, I was going to move on from the young Dan, who's, who's been at the local club, um, you know, weed whacking, uh, bunker raking, but you've gone off to Rutgers and you've got your certificate. Um, the hot topic in the turf industry in the States, again, I'll defer to Peter McCormack at, at TurfNet. You know, he's hosted some, actually some really informative podcasts. I'll, I'll link them in. Um, this great debate, Dan, um, about where have all the assistants gone? I'll, I'll get your thoughts on that in a bit, but was that, was that your, was that your next step or did you have to put a few more yards in when was you, was your first move to assistant or did you just have to ride shotgun on the crew for a few years first? Um, it, uh, we can always come back, please. Cause I'll finish my story as we go. But after Rutgers, I was, uh, we had an internship at TPC Sawgrass flying a drone. <laughs> I forgot to mention that. 
up to nearly 4,000 views. I don't know if that's not, that's a lot for my Twitter. <laughs> oh, but that, that internship was a phenomenal opportunity. And it was, we were head first as interns uh, working right underneath the uh, senior assistant superintendent who took direct, you know, delegation from, from the superintendent or the head greenskeeper at TPC Sawgrass. Um, Cause it was the first time that, that property had broken ground towards a master renovation and to be there and be a part of it was, was outstanding um, as far as just more building blocks to what we learned at school. Moving through that network, then I came home to Cincinnati. Uh, you know, Stuart, I, I had a title, uh, but I was more or less just a strategic operator at that point. Um, here's a kid that has seen it, done it, lived it, um, and, and a position was created for me at a 27-hole public golf course here in Cincinnati, uh, Glenview Golf Course, uh, where I was crew leader, which was just under the foreman, who yeah. was under the assistant, who was then the superintendent. Um, and so as, as crew leader, it was more or less, if there was a job, I knew how to do it thanks to schooling and, and, and the internship. Um, so that, that was when I first dabbled with management. Okay. And that's, that's, that's interesting. And it's something that again is, is sort of on trend and the topic of debate. Um, so then your mindset then, Dan, because that's what we're sort of looking into or, or how, or your, how you were driven as that young man. Um, were you always were you always aiming for for the top? Because I, you know, I've, you know, we've had conversations, me and you. And as a younger man, I wanted to become a head greenkeeper. I sort of took a few, a couple of deputy positions, sort of in my mid twenties. Um, and I always thought I wanted to to work my way to the top. I've I've now actually found a position now that I've you know I've got a, a family. Uh, and I had my battles with with things that we don't need to talk about today. But I found a position within the turf industry that I'm I'm really quite comfortable with and happy with. Um, it doesn't seem to be such an option over in the states, uh, for potentially financially, you know. But but were you as that? So you've come out. You're now crew leader. Um, but are, are you eyeing the top up, or was there ever a point where you thought this is quite nice? I could I could stick this out for a while. Or, or was it always I need to keep moving forward and keep moving up? I, I always wanted to progress forward, always wanted to move up. It took me a while to realize that I'd like to be a head superintendent. Yeah. Um, following my time as crew leader, I was then promoted to a foreman or third in control. Um, as a foreman, I then graduated and became an assistant. So while I was a foreman, I was still looking up and I, I, I thought I had to follow that staircase. I thought yeah. that was, the, that was the right way to go. And I got there, but it's take, it, it's taken me a while. And, and I also, it has rounded, you know, shaped me into a well-rounded golf course superintendent as I also didn't just climb that ladder, but I wanted to see different levels of clubs as well, yeah. different monetary values different budgets um private versus public and and my career continued to progress through that route uh after crew leader i was foreman 
performing, I became an assistant superintendent at an 18 hole public golf course. Right. And that's a California golf course here in Cincinnati, Ohio. And um, that is where I learned the value of a preventative spray program and yep. also had the early works of, um, you know, playing a role in the budget and the forward planning of a budget, which, yeah. which is still a struggle for me. Uh, but every year we keep getting better and building on it. And for, and for Phil down there wondering what on earth a preventative spray program is, if you're lucky enough to have a budget uh, and you can get out and spray ahead of those weeds, um, luckily uh, some golf courses are fortunate enough to do so. Um, Phil, I, I mean, I'm interested to hear what Dan said about sort of working his way up the ladder, um, always looking up, but he sort of touched on the fact that he wanted to stop at each step and have a look around and gain some experience. It sort of comes to the point that we've discussed on previous podcasts. Dan, I got the impression that Dan almost felt, did you feel a, a bit pushed in that direction by, by the industry? And it's what we've discussed, Phil, isn't it? That a lot of the time people don't, we discussed it with Dean yesterday, a lot of the time people don't really know what direction they're meant to go. And they just go with the flow of society, whatever industry they're in. Um, and it's not always for the best, Phil, is it? Well, no, I think, yeah, the, the, the kind of the peer pressure or the societal pressure to just kind of like, you look at everything that goes on in the world, you look at social media, news, all of that sort of stuff. It's like, you be the best you can be and don't you give anything anything less than that. And it's like 100% and go, go, go. And that is actually when there's life that goes on around you can be pretty exhausting. And there's nothing wrong with, um, you know, stopping to take a breath, be comfortable for a while and um, get yourself, make sure that you know, if you have got eyes on the top, the last thing you want to do is when you get to the top, be really shit at it, you know, <laughs> because you just don't, you don't win anybody over. There's no favours given, is there, when you get to the top, you, there's a target on your back. And if you're really rubbish at it, people are going to know and you're going to get found out quickly. Yeah. So actually taking time to be as good as you can be in the role that you've got before you take the next step. Actually, people remember that. He was a really good foreman. He was a really good, you know, whatever the other stages are in, in that hierarchy, but people remember that. And then when you, you've got credit in the bank, when you get to the top. So I think it, I think it is really important. One thing that I was going to ask is like your quality, and this is completely naive question through your qualifications that you get, like you've been to uh, Rutgers uni, um, you get your, your certificate there. Are there then any other vocational uh, training that goes on. I'm thinking particularly around leadership and management. So you can do all the technical stuff around kind of preventative weed killing stuff and, you know, how to change the, the cutty thing on the, on the lawnmower. But do you, do you oh, get, no. that's a, that's a technical thing. Turf heads are all cringing <laughs> now, Bill. No, no, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> but is there, is there any, leadership and management of like man stroke woman management that you you get or is it you know you do all the technical stuff and you're good at that and then you learn the people stuff on
find out the answer to that great question from Phil after this short break. I'm just here to remind you that we do have a Buy Me A Coffee page set up for Henry Weston's Old Mate, the podcast. If you log on to www.buymeacoffee.com, search H-W-O-M, you will be able to make a small donation towards the future of the podcast. We will never charge for our content. We will never hide it behind a paywall. It will always be free. But if you would like to make a small financial donation, that would be amazing and will allow us to grow the podcast going forward. A huge thanks to Dan for coming on and sharing with us his journey through the turf industry. If you are listening to this and would like to come on and talk turf with myself and Phil, that would be amazing. If you are in the UK, the USA or anywhere else in the world listening to this, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at hwomthepod at gmail.com and just outline what you'd like to come on and chat about and I will get straight back to you on the email. Thanks, guys, and please enjoy the second half of our chat with Dan Francis. The job. What was your What was your journey through that? That's That's a great question, Phil, and 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 I did, uh, but along the lines of your question, at the time there were not. Now, GCSAA has certification programs for assistant superintendents. They have certification programs for the mechanics and the equipment techs that are in the shop here with us. Um, but at the time there wasn't, and, and I acknowledged that, um, not necessarily with the nas- at the national level, but how do I not just sit stagnant? How do I continue to grow? And also too, at this point, I've proposed to my now wife um, so now I'm start thinking about a family and, and how can I provide for a family? How can I be the best in the step that I'm in now to help me get to the next step? And, and here in the States, um, you know, is, it, it was our steward, our, our pesticide and our license to apply chemicals on of this property safely. Yeah. Um, and I, you start with core and basic education, Phil, of, safe handling and storage and so on and so forth. It's, it's our core license. And then you build on top of that. And for me, it was turf. Well, then also on the golf course was aquatics. So I got certified, pesticide certified for aquatics. Then there was ornamental and landscaping. That's on our golf course as well. Let me go take that test. And yeah. then finally to round it all out was an industrial vegetation. This uh, and so now my my pesticide license is very thick and it's 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 it, there's many hours that I have to recruit accrue CEUs towards and and maintain that license and and continue to further my education to keep that license, but that in the moment at that time where we were in my career let's call it 2010, 2010, 2011 right in there you know that was how I continued to climb the ladder and, and be the best in the position at that time. Yeah. Great. Fantastic. I mean, those, those spray lights, they sound a bit more over here for, for the UK listeners. That's um, our PA one, two and six is it's the spraying license. As Dan says, you know, you've got safe handling, etc. It's It sounds like you, you go a bit more in depth over there, which can only be, be good, Dan, but um, that, that uh, that drive to, or that personal drive to continue to to 
gain qualifications and to top up your existing qualifications is 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 highly commendable. It's, it's necessary, but it's something that if you're not careful, you take your eye off the ball. Um, there's always that youngster coming up behind you who's who's willing to put those extra yards in. Um, Katie, I asked. It's it's it might be a slightly tough question, but um, as you're working your way up through the ranks, Dan, um, I asked if you'd be able to give us an example of of a time where, you know, potentially you had to step away from. Uh, what I'm trying to say is, I know a golf course cruise can be tough places. Um, you want to be with the in guys, but when you're eyeing, when you want to make your way through the industry. Sometimes being with those, hanging around with those guys, isn't always the way, is it? You need to you need to show the people up top that you're serious about it. Could you give us an example of a time where you you kind of had to put your career first, and it may have meant moving away from your buddies almost. It it was it it was it was just that, and I, I guess along those lines, I I completely understand where you're coming from with 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 the buddies and the crew and the the in crowd or the cool kids were just for me it was almost 10 11 years of my career with a lot of the same people as as those two golf courses that i've described to you so far were all under a management company yeah so we we were always all together that management company had many different golf courses but those were my friends those were my buddies and um that management company became vested in me as they promoted me three times through their company. And I wanted to continue to grow. I wanted to continue to learn. And um, publisher into the private world yeah. at a very high-end club here in Cincinnati, which required more of me, which also meant there was less of me at home. At this point now we have... Um, we have a child and I'm continuing to advance my career and learn the private sector. And, and now the struggles while at work, because the thresholds were higher, the struggles were also harder at home. Um, and, and that is far too common in this industry. Um, to, do what we do and stay healthy at home. That's, that's really interesting because I was, I was, I'll be honest, I was expecting probably a work-based answer, Dan, but that is fantastic that you've said that because it's something that again, me and Phil have discussed on many podcasts and actually touched on something we recorded yesterday. Uh, and that issues, issues can flare it, it often can be your home life that suffers, you know, um, immensely. Um, Phil makes me laugh every time. He said it again last night. Um, having children, having young children in the house is not easy. And I'll be perfectly honest. I didn't find it fun in the slightest. Uh, I know Phil's will normally make a joke about that as well. Uh, you've got people want to come round, see the baby. And I think he said, eat all your fucking biscuits was one of his lines that made me laugh. Um, so what you're kind of suggesting is that potentially your biggest struggle at that period of your life was finding that 
home life and it's not even the work-life balance as such it's you you're suggesting that the actually the integrity of your home life really you know that's that structure really struggled um and it's something that i guess the turf industry i think we know anyone who's got their ear to the ground at the moment listening to the podcast and the discussions that are going on it's the kids coming through the industry the kids coming through the industry don't have kids but they still want to be able to go and have hobbies don't they um away from golf um so that's so that's really interesting could so could you how did you get that back on track then dan it it took a long time it's it's still not good uh good i shouldn't say that it's <laughs> we'll, it's, we'll edit that it's out. always working it's always a work in progress yeah oh you please please more it's it's always a work in progress. We're right different than my career. We're we're still learning. We're still working our way to the top to be the best that we can be. Um, you know, now is a shameless plug for my beautiful wife Katie uh, and the two girls that support me. My oldest Abigail, my youngest Evelyn, and um, they they have been instrumental to my success now as a golf course superintendent. Uh, they've made me be a better manager here at work. They've made me be a better friend to my staff here at work. And, and they've helped me understand the value of when I'm home, be home. Yeah. And it's too, it's hard to turn it off sometimes. It's in, and more so, I'm through my peers and friends in the relationship. You you say work life balance. I don't think there's such thing anymore. I'm not discounting what you say, but the word that I have found that has been good is presence. And yeah. when I'm here at work, get it done. Focus on the task at hand. Be the best superintendent you can be, and then go home and be a husband and be a father and, and do your damn best to, to just be there in that moment. And, and because there's, there's not going to be the balance. You're not going to have, I, I, I don't know. I guess yeah. in the end that balances out. Yes. But to, to be the best version of yourself where you are in that time and in that moment um, has, has, brought a lot of value to me and my family and my career. It, it sounds to me, Phil, like, like Dan, that's, that's again, great, hugely interesting to me that for, to hear Dan say that that work-life balance probably doesn't exist as such in his, in his role. It might not be, it, it isn't that simple. Um, we, in discussions with your brother on a previous pod, Phil, we talk about time stacking and, making the most of the time you have. And in that situation we, with Chris, we were discussing, you know, potentially making the home, your time at home easier by, by be able to sort of multitask. Um, yeah. Dan is explaining that he's almost, there's, there's, there is two, there's always two of us really, isn't there? There's the home and the work, Dan, but, but Dan really has a, he's really focusing as to sort of refocus when he gets in that in, in the van to drive home. Yeah, no, I, 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 
it all of a sudden got very, very profound on this podcast, which is, you know, we, we have spells where this sometimes happens and we, we, we click on something. But um, it, it's really interesting that, you know, when you talk about work-life balance, in, in my mind, you've kind of got these scales of, and therefore it has to be equal, but it's never going to be equal, is it? Because you spend most of your time at work. So the balance is bullshit. And you're absolutely right on that, Dan. I think what you've touched on, and I think, Stu, we've talked to or mentioned it at least once. There was a famous rugby player um, in from England, Dan, called Johnny Wilkinson. Rugby's like American football, but um, better. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> but he's... Oh, uh, no. We're never going to be released in the States again. I know, I know, I know. I'm here to sabotage. Um, but he's uh, he talks about this very much in in the respect of uh, you've almost verbatim said what he what he talks about in 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 um, some of his uh, um, some of his writing and his interviews and stuff. He just says all of me in this moment. Now, whether it's on the rugby pitch and practicing his kicks, or whether it's at home with the kids, you know, you might not have a great amount of time at home with the kids but if actually you're distracted thinking about the thing that you were doing an hour ago then that balance is even worse than it was because you're cheating your family by inviting this imposter your work imposter into the house when really it shouldn't be there so you know i think you're absolutely right the balance doesn't exist in terms of time but attention and quality can i think and, and Johnny, I listened to a Johnny Wilkinson podcast the other day and he was actually asked, he, he, he was describing exactly what Phil just described and, and the host actually asked him if washing the dishes was as important to him as the World Cup final. And he said, yeah. in the moment, yes, and it has to be. Otherwise, I'm not being true to the values, my personal values. Um, so, yeah, there you, you know, go. You know, you know, Good old Jake Humphrey on that podcast. We've listened to the same one. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah. We're not. Don't plug other podcasts, Phil. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> um, uh, let's get on because because we time is always running from us. Dan, you are now uh, and have been for a while. You're at Wildwood. Let's spend some time talking about Wildwood because you've got some fantastic. I don't know if initiatives that you're involved in is is the right thing, but you've. You've given, a, you've given a couple of speeches I want to hear about, and you've got yourself involved with the Kids Golf League, the Junior League. Um, talk to us about Wildwood. Just, 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 go, just go, go off on one. Talk to us about Wildwood, Dan. Okay. Uh, this year is our centennial year. Wildwood is 100 years old this year. Uh, we have our centennial tournament um, in May. So Golf Course was born as a nine-hole club on a parkland style golf course. Um, and what was a very big, and still is, steel town here in Middletown, Ohio. A lot of USA made steel. And um, the gentleman at that time wanted to build himself a golf course. And he did just that. And it snowballed into an 18 hole club. Uh, but it was born in 1999. I cannot tell you who shaped the earth. We still don't know. Uh, bent grass greens. Bent grass fairways, bent grass tees, smattering of Poana, uh, about 90 acres of mobile rough. Property as a whole sits on about 150 acres. Three acres of putting surfaces, three acres of tee boxes, 24 acres of fairways. Um, and it's me with uh, this year, it'll be me with six men. Last year, it was me with four men. 
and uh, it's it, it's it's a very unique, very unique golf club, uh, member owned uh, facility. It's it's not owned by a corporation or a company. Every member at this golf club has a stake in it, and it shows. It shows when you're out there. Uh, everybody is patrolling and policing each other. Uh, ball marks are better repaired because there's the there's the name calling and the finger pointing at each other. This is this is our property. This is our property. Let's take care of it. Um, we're quickly approaching uh, 300 golfing members. That is not the equivalent of our our total membership, but uh, we're quickly approaching that number. And that you know is is exciting for Wildwood because it was in the last decade um, a club that was. Failing, it, yeah. it, it wasn't moving in the right direction, and and now all of a sudden we find ourselves back on top, and that's very exciting. Uh, that that credit goes to our general manager and the restructuring that he's done, um, and and it speaks volumes to myself and the crew as well in the last five years. So how does? How does Dan Francis, the golf course superintendent, have time to be involved with the junior league? You you mentioned that, you know, as a younger man, that's, you know, you spent your times around the pro shops, uh, helping out, organizing things such as, you know, the junior golf. So is that always, is that going back to your roots? Was that something the club asked you to get involved in or is that more on a voluntary basis? I I, I think some of it stems uh, from my past and, and just wanting to be there. A lot of it now also, too. I'm a father, so I don't want my children. I, I want my children to play golf, but I'm not going to force them to. Yeah. And um, I, I, I enjoy the junior league that is here. More importantly, though, I see the value in said junior league because these children – will create their memories here at Wildwood and perhaps raise their family here at Wildwood and they will join Wildwood. And um, so you see the long-term value for the club. Now, as a golf course superintendent and a turf manager, it was uh, between me and the golf pro to show the kids a little bit about what we do and why we do it. Uh, so to cut the cup and I showed them the big top dresser kicking sand out the backside. Uh, we raked a bunker, proper bunker raking technique, how to fix a ball mark, the basics um, that, you know, we can teach you a golf swing all day long, but that little stuff isn't talked about. And what goes in to the 150 property, 150 acres that's here uh, was fun for them. And then much like the gentleman did at the first course that I cut my teeth at, you know, the kids say, you can go to school for this? Yeah. You mean I can work outside on a golf course? Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and that is fun because you've mentioned it briefly, uh, you know, a labor shortage. I, I assume UK and US share that. Definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah, we can't you know, get so, the, yeah. getting them inspired and I, you know, back to the big picture too. These these kids are going to get into high school and say, "I want to go work with Dan." 
that sounds like a good time. Or I like that, or I want to learn more of that. And, uh, you know, so I, the, the, the grand finale of it all is, you know, does my maintenance barn get better staffed? Does Wildwood gain more members? Does this club continue to pursue persist for another 100 years? Yeah. Which is, it's exciting. It's exciting. And I just, I try and pour my passion onto those children as best as I can, much like the golf pro and his love for the game is pouring his passion onto it. Well, I mean, and hopefully the people who, who watch this podcast, I always make the joke, all seven or eight of them. But um, if there's something to take away from, from this chat, it would be, you know, a person in Dan's position, a, a busy professional with busy professionally, very busy at home, finds the time to, to help out with, with, with the kids around the golf course, whilst also trying to encourage the youngsters within the industry, those young people, those school leavers, um, it's something, uh, you know, that if we want the turf industry to survive, we have to start investing as, as you know, myself with 20 plus years experience in the industry. I'm not really in a position at work to, to be able to, to impart my knowledge on others, really, you know, our guys have all finished their training, but potentially with this podcast and with, with these chats, some people might be able to, to listen uh, and and realize that there is there is a a route into you know golf course management. It's it it's outside. It's cold in the winter. But if you listen, you know, listen just listen to Dan for forty five minutes. It's a thoroughly rewarding profession um, that many many people can't speak highly enough of. Um, we're coming towards the end. Um, Phil, is there anything while we've while we've got Dan here all the way from Ohio. Um, is there anything you want to pick his brain about before, before we finish up? Yeah. I was just looking at the course map and it tells me that the 12th hole is the signature. So which is the best, uh, best approach to the. <laughs> <laughs> can you see, can you see that? Can you see that ridiculous golf hole on the map? Yeah. All right. There is a tree smack dab in the middle of that fairway. There is the biggest tree you've ever seen. Right. And, and for me, Phil, I'm, I'm going to the right side of it. Okay. I'm going to the right side of that tree, and that's my approach. Uh, the big bombers of the club, they're going to go up and over it, most likely. Um, okay. Or anybody who can shape the golf ball, golf ball will work it right around that. But uh, Great. Uh, well, I, I've never seen anything like it. And, I've Stu, I've also never seen grass look so good at the base of that tree. I, yeah. I don't know how it happens. I don't know how it happens. Plenty of moisture, I'm sure. <laughs> Plenty. <laughs> Plenty. Um, in seriousness, because you asked me a serious question, but it wasn't really a question. It's just, again, it's just an observation. And the more podcasts that we're doing, it doesn't matter who we have coming on to talk to us. You know, the, the serious side of, of life and mental health and work-life balance and all of those sorts of things just shine through. Uh, everyone's got the same type of challenges uh, how we come to it is uh or how we approach it and solve it for ourselves is always just a little bit different but it's it's interesting that i you might you might not know dan but i don't know an awful lot about turf um but you're learning but i am learning there are whirly things that cut grass um but uh yeah the the, the intricacies and the the depth of knowledge that goes into it is kind of uh, astounding for me 
but also the kind of the challenges and the pressures that come with that as well. So uh, no, grateful to, to have learned and, and been part of the pod. Well, I mean, I think it's been another fantastic episode. We probably haven't talked as much turf as, as we thought we might. Dan, um, anything you, you want to get into before we, before we knock it on the head? You know, if, 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 if you're going to open up the platform for me to close up this chat, you know, uh, I chose this profession, Stu, and I, I think the same. It's, it's, I just want to go to work and have a good time. Yeah. And, and Phil, you know, I, I hope you find the same in, in, in your career and the things that you do. And come to work and have life's, – life's, life's too short to beat down the guys around you and, and worry about that of which you cannot control. I come to work every day, and we have a blast here. Rain, sun, sleet, or snow. Um, I don't think my crew will listen to this, but I hope they agree. Yeah. Um, it, it, just try and make the most out, out, out of the time that you're here. Have fun doing it. Don't be a, you know, yeah, I, I just, I, I've created relationships here with my staff and, and the leadership in the, in the pro shop as well. The, to have 360 degrees of communication, everybody on the same page and, and, and smiling all the while doing it makes, makes what we do out there outside the shop so much easier. Yeah. If you're, if you're having fun and you're passionate about something um, such as turf to, to enjoy doing it. Well, that's yeah. Uh, well said and that that's we've actually next week i've actually got a podcast with a, a golf pro up the road towards london at ealing golf club ricky willison um he's going to come on and actually discuss uh the relationships between pro shops and greenkeepers because i've worked at too many golf clubs i've actually worked at most golf clubs, the, the, the green staff and the pro shop have a, have a very good working relationship. I've worked at one golf club where the, the head pro and the head greenkeeper couldn't actually sit in the same room as each other. But it's something that I just thought might be an interesting chat to see, to, to, to hear from the pro, how he, over the year, many years he's worked at the golf club, how he's sort of formed and worked relationships with, um, with the, the numerous head greenkeepers that have been there. Um, before we say goodbye to Dan, I just want to remind everyone that um, if you are watching or listening, please like, rate and review us. Don't forget we've got the buy me a coffee. You know, it's not lining the pockets of anyone. It's just supporting the podcast. Thank you so much to Dan Francis for coming to join us. Another new friend made in the uh, US of A. Um, I will be reaching out to, to more turf managers and, and turf people over over in the states going forward dan francis thank you so very much for joining us phil excellent as ever uh thank you all for watching and listening to another one of henry weston's old mate the podcast thanks guys cheers thank you <laughs>